89.9 The Light, you're with Cam and Joe, and we are very excited to welcome our next guest. He's one of the world's best-known parent educators. He's a psychologist and author of so many incredible books like Raising Boys, which has helped so many raising girls as well. Steve Bidolf is with us. Hello, Steve. Great to have you here. Hello, Cam, and hello, Joe. It's nice to be talking to you. Likewise, we're just so thrilled to be able to talk with you about parenting and on different subjects. And the subject we wanted to talk about today was about minimising the effect of the birth order of our children. So we know and we hear a lot about the eldest child and the middle children and the babies and what dynamics that plays out in a family and just love to get your insights and understanding on handling all those different birth orders and siblings well. All right, it's a, it's a very rich topic. And the first thing I want to say is that there's no, you know, there's lots of books and lots of people sort of make a lot of, out of this birth order thing. Um, but there's no fixed rules and every family is unique. But, but, but certainly some things that to watch out for that you don't fall into sort of something that kind of makes people miserable because of where they were born in the family. Um, which is, and it's all about sharing the love, if you think about it really. Um, but yes, it's a great topic. I'd love to answer questions about that. Steve, do you feel like people often carry around stereotypes with regards to the order? Like if you're the eldest, you're this kind of way. If you're the youngest out of a multiple child family, oh, you're just the baby, you get away with everything. Like, are there common stereotypes that people kind of live into? I think that um, stereotypes sometimes come about because there is something in, in it. And um, it, let, me, let me describe to you uh, um, uh, uh, the way it can easily go in a family and see if this sounds that it fits in your, both of your experience. So let's, if you imagine that a, a family has their first child is a girl and, and like all new parents, really um, dead keen, you know, reading books and, and, and talking to everyone and, and very keen on being parents and getting it right and maybe even a bit anxious, of course, with a, a new child. And so that, that little girl gets loads of attention and also she, um, she becomes what firstborns tend to be, which is a, a very good child. And so encouraged by this, <laughs> this couple has, a, has another baby. <laughs> and, um, and maybe it's a couple, two or three years down the track and they're ready for another one. And the next child is a boy. And as this little boy kind of wakes up to the world he's in with his big sister and everything, he kind of notices that there's no way that he can keep up with her. She's, she's so good. She's so far ahead. He can't compete on those sort of grounds. And also his parents are a little bit more, um, I should say, a, a bit more chilled really because they're learning to, not to be so worried about the, every little thing. Um, and so he discovers that one way to kind of out-compete his sister is not to try to be better than her because he can't catch up. But if he's naughty, um, mm. that gets more attention. Um, and so he, <laughs> I can see you smiling at this, um, Joe, and, and he, yeah. he kind of um, becomes just a bit kind of specialises in, in naughtiness when he's feeling a bit left out. That's the, best, that's the thing that works best. I'm actually um, one of five children and Cam's also one of five and I have four of my own and, and I'm smiling because it's really about identity, isn't it? I see it in my own children. If I can't compete in this factor, then I'll separate myself and form my own identity in another way that's quite clear. How much of identity and, and knowing who you are plays out in all of this? 
Yes, well, in a way, it's, it's deciding who to be. Um, this is what shapes our identity. Um, and we'll come back to, to big families in a, in a minute because that's another really interesting thing. And, and, um, and so, yes, and so you kind of decide um, this is... This will be my speciality in the family. It's kind of my job. Uh, I'll be the naughty one that stirs everything up. And, and with the family we were talking about, this imaginary family, if they now go ahead, and they're a bit hesitant, but somehow or other they have a third baby, um, then what happens? And let's imagine she's, it doesn't really matter, a little girl or little boy, again, about the age of one or one and a half, this new third child figures out okay, are there any job vacancies left in this family? Mm. Um, we've, we've, got the, we've got the good one, that's taken. The bad one's taken as well. And that doesn't look like a lot of fun, you know. My big brother's always in strife and, and um, there's only one role remains and this is, which comes very naturally because you're little, and that's to be the cute one. And, yeah. and so for people listening, this sounds familiar at all, but the, the, the littlest one has got some natural promise in this and they become, they become cute and they sort of act even younger than they are. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can tell in their voice when a family comes into a family therapy, sometimes even sometimes the adults have got a very high voice <laughs> and, and you just know they, in their family they were the cute one. Um, and so it's a diet, I mean, you can meet 50-year-olds who, who still do the cute voice. Um, and, um, and so this is a very typical pattern, good, bad, cute, mm. down through the border. 89.9 The Light, you're with Cam and Joe for a Monday afternoon. We're joined by one of the world's best-known parent educators, Steve Bidolf, and we're talking about the characteristics and stereotypes, if you will, of birth order in terms of the oldest being good, middle child being a bit naughty, and the baby being cute. Steve, is there anything that we can do to minimise the effects of these unique personality traits through these stereotypes? Yes. Now, in a minute, we'll come back to something else because gender confuses it as well. We'll talk about that. But to come to your question, really, if you think about it, it's all to do with how children get to feel loved and what, what they think they've got to do to be loved. Now, in a family, there's, there's, two, ways, there's two kinds of love. There's the kind of just the warm delight that we take in our children that's, that's just straight from the heart and where they just feel that, that we love them regardless. Uh, and psychologists call it unconditional love, but, but it's just love with a capital L. And some parents um, are much more kind of uptight in, the, in their love. Their hearts haven't completely opened or they've come from tough backgrounds, and, and so they're not good at that. And so they may easily, and sometimes dads are more like this for some reason, but not always. Um, I'm not going to be affirming to this child unless they fit this mould of what I expect. And so it turns into this kind of battle of the children doing things. And very often, if a very negative family, a child will do very negative things because at least you get noticed. We, we, we have to remember that the, 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 the most awful thing for any human being is to be ignored. And we just feel like we're going to die if we're not noticed and, and not don't get some attention. And so kids will be very, very naughty if that's what works. And so if, you look, if you're listening to this and you're finding that, you know, I always feel for people listening who might have a kid who's in quite a bit of strife, you look at, is there enough love to go around in your family? 
maybe you're just way busy. Modern families now are very busy and um, you can have a love shortage even between mum and dad. And so how can we make sure, and if there's a quick answer to this, it's that make sure that every child has time on their own, one parent, one child. And so um, a good friend of mine, um, Bruce Robinson's a professor over in Western Australia who started the Fathering Project, and he says, dads and sons, dads and daughters, once a month have an overnight trip or go off camping or something, so that even if you've got, you know, you've got 10 kids, um, that each of those children has the experience of being just me and mum or just me and dad. So they know what it feels like to have 100% attention. Now, if they've, if they've had that, um, and they know it's it's there, even if it's not often, but they've got it in their memory banks. Um, you know, I remember it being just me and dad, and we really got on, and we understand each other. And then you can create that feeling of specialness. And then what happens is instead of fitting this narrow role, they blossom more. And so, you know, your oldest who has always tried to be good, and maybe they're a teenager who's getting into perfectionism and working too hard at school and worrying too much about their weight and things like that. If they feel really loved, they'll chill out and they'll, they'll drop those compulsions. Um, and the bad one will feel like, oh, actually, I don't have to be bad to get noticed. You know, me and mum have a not, you know, bedtime. Mum comes into my room, we have a chat. I can count on that. I don't have to kick up a, a big fuss to get noticed by mum. With four children, I can't say that each child when they're together gets 25% of my attention because there is one that takes 70 hmm. and the other yeah. two, other three get 10 because their personality is so dominating and big. I was going to ask you how you combat that. Yes, well, I think it's just a matter of keeping an eye on it. Um, and if you can feel in your heart like this kind of misgiving, like, you know, I've got a good child who doesn't need much attention, so I'm hardly giving them any. And when you think of that, think, actually, that's not right. You know, they deserve it as well. So you balance it up. One of the, um, some of your listeners will have really large families, you know, five or more. And there's a thing that is a danger in, in big families. And that's the, um, in, in family therapy, we look at the structure of things. And you have these subsystems. And so you've got the couple subsystem where mum and dad are a couple. But if it's a single parent family, of course, you don't have that. And then you've got the parenting system, which is the team that raises the children. And so even if you're separated, you can still be a team raising your child and do that well. But when it's a very big family, especially if life is pretty stressy, there's a thing that happens by accident where one of the children, and usually it's the oldest, gets pulled into the parenting subsystem and they be kind of made a deputy sheriff in the family and so that oldest child gets to be valuable by looking after the other kids and doing the disciplining and and that feels sometimes feels like oh, what a great relief you know if my eldest is great you know she makes the dinner and she gets the little one to bed and you kind of oh wonderful but on the other hand the other kids hate that and and so she ends up being like not a, not a child or a parent and yeah. caught in between and, and, and has a quite a rough time and, and problems down the track. And so, um, so just as a thing to watch out for, that you haven't made one of your kids into, you know, like people say, you know, you know to little boys, 
lost their dad, they say, well, you'll have to be the man of the family. You know, this little boy's like six, you know. Yeah. And, and that's a terrible burden. And so, yeah, just things to, we all drift into these things, but if you just want keep an eye open, don't let it get too much. Yeah. Steve, I wanted to ask you about something you mentioned earlier to come back to this point. When it comes to the personality types, if you will, of the children in the birth order, in terms of being the good one, the naughty one, and the cute one, uh, you said that the gender of the child can mix this up a little bit. Do you want to just talk for a few minutes as to how that can actually happen? Yes, you're a very good listener, Cam. I'm impressed. And you, you held on to that. Let's imagine if that, remember the family of three that we talked about. If the oldest was a little boy and the little girl came along second, and if there was only about two years between them, because the, the, the gap matters as well. Little girls develop a lot quicker than boys, most of them, in social skills. And just generally, they, they, their brains develop faster. And so it's very likely that by about five, that little girl will overtake her brother. And she, <laughs> I can see you smiling there, and she will bump him out of the top spot. And so he'll be really kind of get quite upset and have a few, few issues because, um, because girls, um, you know, he liked that top spot and now he's not there anymore. She's doing, but she can read better than he can or something along those lines. And so again, in fact, Although I, I know I hate making rules, it's not a bad idea to keep a gap of more than two years between your children. Um, in fact, it's better to have them one year apart than two years apart because a two-year-old is a very high-need stage and a new baby is a high-need stage. And so that's, that's hard with a two, and a two and a zero together. Now, we don't always have a lot of say in this um, when our children come along, but... Um, but if the families that have a lot of stress, it seems to be when they've gone for a two, you know, they've had a six and a four and a two years old, those are, that's, that's kind of, everyone's battling for, to be the, for the love. And, um, and that can be tough, especially when we don't live with grandmas and aunties and people to kind of share these kids around very much. If you've got a big extended family, it's easier. Steve, it has been absolutely fascinating talking with you today. Steve Bidolf is one of the world's best-known parent educators, and we will have you back again because I feel like there is so much that we can tap into with your knowledge and your wisdom. So thank you for talking to us today, and we'll have you back soon, okay? Love to everyone, and it was great to talk to you.